All right, this is Gary Parrish from CBS Sports. It's uh, now Monday, November 23rd. This is, of course, the Eye on College Basketball Podcast, and I'm joined today by Sam Bassini and Matt Norlander, who is back from a uh, brief uh, hiatus from the podcast uh, because he had to become a father. Matt Norlander, you are speaking uh, to us today for the first time publicly as a father of a young boy. Um, How much have you noticed your life change already? You know, there hasn't been that much change, Gary. I got to be honest. Things are pretty smooth. They're pretty normal. I'm able to effectively get my work done. And <laughs> listen, my whole my my goals of fatherhood are basically to raise a child that brings production, happiness, and joy to the world, and helps make the world a better place. And proving you wrong in the process that I can't that I can't do my job effectively, and that this thing won't uh, entirely change my my day to day. No, of course, obviously he's uh, he's changed a lot, and. Uh, He's actually right next to me as we're recording this podcast. <laughs> okay, let me give you the, let me give this you the first. Not I'm, not, I'm not going to give you uh, tips every single week on how to be a father because, honestly, I, I don't even know that I'm that great or, or even good of a father. But I do. here's one tip I will offer free of charge. Probably not ideal to do podcasts with a baby next to you. Hey, listen, the wife is getting some sleep. He's chilled out. He's passed out right now. He's loving it. All right. I do want to say thank you for giving me the shout out on the podcast. It was funny because uh, this thing, he, he came 10 days early. And so it was just funny on the, the one two weeks ago we were joking about I might miss the next one. Didn't think there was any shot. I ended up did missing it. And uh, so like Wednesday night, chilling in the hospital, finally listened to the podcast. And uh, so I did listen. You thank gave the you. shout out. Appreciate that. And I was are, able you not, to actually... are you not worried that talking right next to a baby is going to be the actual thing that wakes the baby up? No, because listen, here's the other weird thing, and I promise I will not gab about my child for this entire podcast, but when we were in the hospital, the nurses were like, listen, you want to have, not at nighttime, but during the day when he's passed out, you want normal noise next to him so that he's not sleeping in an environment where he has to be silent all the time. So they were like closing doors without a care and he was sleeping through it so this is actually pretty good for him so uh so he's loving it man it's been it's been crazy the one thing i do want to say is so we ended up having you so funny you were mentioning about the c-section deal and there there's plenty of stuff that i I could share for the podcast but i just i won't i'll I'll share it with you guys in person at another time because there's some funny stuff and some crazy stuff that went down but she had the c-section unplanned because this guy was just, he was a little too twisted under there, and they didn't want to keep going after about three hours of pushing. I, I cannot tell you, when he actually, like, arrived, it wasn't like this, angels were in the room, happiness, oh my god, my life has new meaning. It was just beyond surreal oh, sure. for this being, like, because I'm on the other side of the curtain, it wasn't like a traditional birth, so they take him out, and they, you know, they clean him off, they make sure, you know, he's crying. The, the doctor said when he came out, gave the time of day, 346, and... And then you just kind of had these like stilted loud cries. And it is, it was almost like I wasn't even in the room when that was happening. That is, I think that is one of the most um, unpredictable moments of any person's life is you just don't know how you're going to feel when the child arrives. And so it was just, it was crazy, bizarre and surreal for him to actually be in existence and crying and on the table. And like, it was just it was so awesome, but it was it was also really weird uh, and a blur like an hour after that. No, passed. it is. It's a weird experience. So I, I have two boys and they were both delivered uh, C-section. And so, so hold on. You were on. Were you near 
your wife's head or feet? Yes, yes. I will say yes. I, I was oh, no. near the head, and uh, in fact, they made me sit there, which I would have anyway. And I never, my eyes never wandered. Like cause he came out, and then they're like, "All right, Dad, you want to hold him?" Because my, my wife can't hold him. So you didn't, you didn't see them actually I, pull the baby out? No. Oh wow! See, not. I've seen that. No, I did not see there that. There is nothing weird. I didn't, didn't want to see are, that. It like they they like because it's a pretty quick process, right? It's a pretty uh, yeah, he was out. Like I sat down, so they have to prep her. They bring me in. I sat down, and basically, for me sitting down to him being out of her was three minutes tops, yeah. and then it was like twenty five minutes for them to put her back together. Right? So yeah, they they yeah they um you you think you have these ideas of what childbirth is, and it's right. It's like this long process where you're sitting there and you're going push and put, and it's like you don't exactly know when it's coming. It could be t- twenty minutes. It could be three hours. And yet the C-section, that, that was the most startling thing for me, is that you, you, they, they lie you down and they, they cut your wife open and they pull a baby out. I mean, it's like crazy. It is cra- I actually saw it. So, um, yeah, it's probably why it, it is weird to watch them like cut your wife and pull a baby. They just pull a baby. It is exactly what you would think it would look like. They pull a baby right out of your wife's stomach. Which is just yeah, bananas. it was it was wild, man, uh, and and so much more. I'll tell you guys another time, but it was it was cool. Glad we're back in the swing of things, and it was it was bad for you guys, but it was kind of cool for me that he came uh, as the twenty four hour marathon. He was born last Monday, so we we're we're actually almost at it. He's almost exactly a week old as we're recording this, and so. I was able to watch patches of basketball and kind of keep up. And we've had obviously so much happen since last Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. But um, you know, being in the hospital, and uh, I only got ESPN and ESPN too, so anything else uh, I wasn't able to watch. But uh, in keeping up with that, it's been a pretty interesting first week. I know there's like a thousand directions we can go here, and I'll let GP kind of decide. But um, it, you know, there there have definitely been uh, from performances. Um, like, you know, Denzel Valentine's been awesome and, and Pirtle's been, been terrific and Buddy Heel's been awesome to some, a lot of unexpected losses, even since you guys had the podcast. So, you know, where do you guys want to launch off here? Well, let's start with what I, I think uh, among the, the, the biggest surprises and I think undeniably the most impressive starts to the season. And that's with Miami. Like, I think Sam watched, uh, Miami play uh, last night as, as well as I did. I've watched sure. them now play twice on national television and um, they, they got a blowout win over Utah. Um, the Butler game, I think, ended up being they won by 10 or something. But, like, they were up big early. And then the officials the officials got involved. And it, the score tightened up a little bit. But they were never, uh, I, I don't think, in, in any real danger of actually losing that game. Every time Butler made a run, they'd make a shot and, and extend the lead back. They look awesome. I mean, they look really, really good. Like, like the type of team that you, you think should be. Um, definitely could be a factor at the top of the ACC. Sam, what did you make of, of what you've seen from Miami? Yeah, I've, I've now gotten a chance to watch them four times. Uh, I watched all three of their games in Puerto Rico and then watched the Louisiana Lafayette game because Lafayette is the Sun Belt favorite this year as well, and they have a win over those guys. Um, it's been really impressive. They're an incredibly athletic team. They're probably one of the 10 or so most athletic teams in the country. They have two really good two-way wings in Sheldon McClellan and Davon Reed, who uh, can really get after it defensively and can knock down shots. They have Tonya Jakiri, who has taken a massive leap, uh, both 
offensively and defensively. Like he was killing pick and rolls defensively. He was uh, making shots off of post moves against Jakob Pertl, which isn't easy to do if you ask anyone in the Pac-12. Um, it, it's really, really impressive to see what he's done. And then Angel Rodriguez is playing within himself, which is uh, something that they'll need throughout the rest of the year and something I don't know that will happen throughout the rest of the year. But uh, he's been really good. I mean, this this entire team is rolling right now, and it's I think it's impossible to say anyone's had a better week than right. Jim Laranega, given the fact that uh, they just got two top 30-ish recruits in uh, yeah, last even, week. And then, that. yeah, they got two top 30-ish recruits in last week and then won the Puerto Rico title this week. Uh, so it's just been a great, great week for Miami. Yeah, they're the only team in the country at this moment that has two wins over preseason top 25 teams now some of that's just schedules like you know uh, most people haven't even played two top 25 teams but um yeah they've got two resume wins in their back pocket and uh you know it's it's november 23rd so uh, when you you know combine you know obvious athleticism experience and then i think i don't think you guys would disagree with this one of the the better coaches in college basketball Um, you know, this is, you know, it looks like they've got a fun team there. Um, that was kind of, and real quick, um, the Laranega, we kind of touched on this in previous years when Miami was a couple years ago, that was not a hire that was lauded by almost anyone just because of his, his age and Mason had kind of, you know, just kind of leveled out a little bit after the big final four run. We're coming up on the 10 year anniversary of that, but, um, this is clearly, I mean, he's got a really solid staff and it is clearly turned out to be the kind of hire that really ended up being successful. I mean, I, we'll see what happens this year. But in, ge- in general, with what Larenig has done to an extent in previous years, now we get the huge commitments going forward, and we see a lot of what this team is this year. It just, you know, we, we can in the media, we can admit we're wrong sometimes, and I don't think people were killing Miami for the hire. Right. I just think people thought, why would you hire Jim Larenig, who's approaching 60 years old, when at the time there were certainly a number of decent candidates that were you know, 50 and under. For them, it's worked out well. You know what uh, the, the common opinion was? Clearly wrong, but the common opinion felt a little bit like Oliver Purnell going to Chicago. You know, like um, like mm-hmm. a guy getting older and he's like, you know what, I'm going to take some money and just go retire in Chicago. You know, have some nice, uh, you know, have nice meals and drink. Well, that's what people thought about Oliver. Like, he, yeah, obviously, you're not, you're not leaving Clemson for a better job, but it's like, you're getting a big contract and you get to go ride it out in, in, a, in one of the great American cities. Um, it, people were making about Laranega, the, uh, you know, he's a, he's an old man going to retire in South Florida, you know, like, Boca Vista. Yeah. yeah, like yeah. Whole, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, you know, I went down there a couple of years ago and spent time with, um, with him and his wife, like we, me, him and his wife, I went to, to lunch the day after they had beaten uh, a North Carolina team. This is the year that they had Shane Larkin and they won the ACC and um, just some things I don't. I, I think everybody knows it now. But at the time when when Miami hired him, you know he's he's uh, you know from Cuban American. He's he's the uh, the the son of Cuban Americans. Like um, you know, Miami is 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 a place that that makes sense for him. And in fact, he had I believe the story, and I wrote the story. I just can't remember the details. But he had met some prominent Miami boosters at like some fantasy camp or something. And that's how he got involved on some level with the job is, you know, they were Cuban Americans and, and he was like, you know, this is, you know, you, you're my people. And uh, they just hit it off. And so when the job opened, 
um, his name got bounced around, and then you know it it it, it made sense for him. I think he had had a little bit of. I don't want to say a falling out, but maybe he and his administration at George Mason weren't on the same page anymore. Um, and so, you know, they, you know, it, it was a, a hire that, like you said, nobody ripped, but it didn't make a, a lot of sense on the surface. And it has exceeded everybody's expectations. They, they, they won an ACC title, and I'm not ready to predict that they're going to do it, another one this year, but mm-hmm. um, they got a team that's capable. It looks like, you know, as strong as the ACC is, um, they've got a team that I, I think can play with just about anybody. Okay, so and I'll, I'll pivot this to Sam, but yeah, so ACC right now, um, Miami's undefeated. It, like it's kind of here's here's the somewhat surprising thing again. It's generally the schedule is part of this, but top three teams in the ACC this year going in, well, who were they? They were Carolina, then probably Virginia, then probably Duke. Guess what? All those teams have a loss. Mm-hmm. While Miami looks great, they're undefeated. Louisville has looked solid. Uh, Notre Dame and Pittsburgh uh, haven't lost yet. Pittsburgh only has two games on the schedule due to that disaster that happened in Japan with the floor that they couldn't even finish the game. Syracuse still undefeated uh, as well. Again, we're still early, and we got huge Thanksgiving week of games ahead of us. But it, it is something that I saw last night um, and kind of just looking around. I was like, huh. It's just funny how sometimes these things work out. That Virginia, Duke, Carolina, you know, they'll, they'll probably all still be solid. Um, well, I think the context Carolina, matters a little bit. Like Carolina and, didn't yeah, have Paige. Yeah, you know. Carolina didn't have Paige and played a true road game. Virginia yeah. played a true road game, and Duke had to play Kentucky. So, like, you know, you, you, yeah. Yeah. probably anybody's going to lose that game. So I, I, I'm Duke's not, also won a few really good games. Right. Um, right. So I, um, I, I, I'm not that concerned about any of them, although – um, Duke, like when you lose as much as, as, as Duke lost, you know, four starters from national championship team, you really need your impactful freshman to perform. And so far, and I know you've, you've, you've seen him, uh, Sam multiple times, Brandon Ingram doesn't look great. He has not made an impact at all. He's just not playing very well. Um, yeah, I mean, he, he's shooting like 36% right now. He's really struggling offensively. It seems like he's still struggling to adjust to just the physicality of the game. Uh, on this level, he's still kind of an impact player just due to his length and due to his athleticism. Uh, like he's still averaging like 10.6 points per game, but he, he hasn't been the top five freshman potential right. top five pick that, uh, you know, you expect to see from a guy that has his reputation. Like I talked to a scout last week who said that he thinks by the end of the year, Ingram has as good a chance as anyone to be a number one pick uh, in the Whoa. entire draft. So like it's it's weird that he hasn't gotten there yet, but uh, it's it's still surprising as well. I would say, given what his pedigree is, right? I mean, let me just hop in here. Like, I listen, whatever. I I just don't see. I've already seen enough from Ben Simmons and Brandon Ingram. We're like, let's not. And people just listen. The season is long, so they get ahead of themselves. There's just no way you could ever consider Brandon Ingram to be a pick over Ben Simmons. Like, the, Simmons has come out of the gate. And I know that he has played, like, Duke's schedule is so much harder than LSU's. Right. And actually, by the end of tonight on Monday, the game I'm actually most looking forward to is Simmons against Ellenson. Right. It's LSU's Agreed. only decent, it's their only decent non conference game, okay? Um, and so I get that Simmons has played Patsy's and that's, and that, but like, you just watch him play. Like, he looks great. He, he I mean, looks come great. Come on. He is. And this is a lot of what he's doing now is what we saw. It's, it's so funny. Like we'll see these guys on, on the AAU trail and you just never know like what you're kind of get like a year removed when they get to be college freshmen. Cause sometimes their bodies will grow or their games might change a little bit. Obviously the talent so much better at the college level, but Simmons is, 
basically just a continuation of of what we saw in the summer of 2014. He just it's it's incredible. I'm actually I'm almost at a point wondering where Simmons and, and Denzel Valentine, who has one triple double and his other two games are he came really close. And if they weren't blowouts, he probably would have had him. I'm wondering if if Simmons and uh, and Denzel Valentine might be uh, and and I won't forget about Collinsworth. We'll be in a kind of a head to head race this season. We this could be sort of a year of the triple double in college basketball because all three of those players have games that kind of endear them to that kind of play. Don't forget Chris about Dunn, your boy too. Chris Dunn. That's exactly what I was gonna say. Oh Sam, I, there we go. Yeah. Absolutely Sam, no Sam, doubt about it. Sam, I'll, I'll Sam, push let me, back. Yeah Sam let me here. ask you this. Um and because you know Norlander thinks that Simmons is probably looking like the number one pick in the draft at this point. Keep in mind, at this point last year, most people thought it was Okafor. So, like, this stuff yeah, can no, change. Yeah, it's so, so early. So early, right. But um, I do get the sense from talking to NBA people that most of them, while recognizing they don't have to pick till June, but if they had to pick today, uh, Simmons is, is also that guy. Are you of the opinion now? Like, if you had to uh, update a mock draft today, would you have Simmons at the top? Or, or would you? I, yeah, I would. Yeah. Um, I would have Simmons at the top, but uh, I'll push back a little bit. I'll say that Simmons is uh, already 19. He'll be 20 before he plays his first NBA game. Uh, he's 15 or 16 months older than Brandon Ingram. Uh, and he's, his physical attributes are good. Not great. I mean, and by that, I mean his body, his length, uh, everything like that. He's like six, nine with a six eleven wingspan. Uh, so there, there are plenty of pratfalls that could befall Ben Simmons. Also, his game so far, he's taken 22 of his 24 shots at the rim, uh, has not really done much in the half court at all. I think that, uh, like I said, he's rarely taken a jump shot, rarely needed to uh, really do anything outside of the paint. So uh, uh, the jury is still very much out on Ben Simmons, I will say. I'm not saying that he hasn't been great because he has been great, but uh, we're still learning about what he is as a basketball player, I would say. Yeah, I, but like, I mean, the, the, sure, we're going to, you know, the same way with Carl Anthony Towns and any of these guys, but I, you know, I, I sort of like the idea that he's gotten 22 of 24 buckets at the rim. Like, that means well, he gets to skip the rim. And, and the, the competition is terrible. You're not going to be able to do that against. NBA competition like you're, you're gonna be able to do that against Kennesaw State and South Alabama there's nobody in the world outside of LeBron James who can get to the rim that much no 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 I got you but like yeah I mean we're still like in November of his freshman right. year. I just exactly. I I have I have high expectations for the kid like I forever thought he was great um and like what you were the one that discovered him GPA right I no, I discovered Scow and I discovered oh. um Mickey Mitchell <laughs> remember when I discovered Mickey Mitchell <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes I, I very much well, I want to ask about this one <laughs> I was I was in one of those weird um uh like 16 and under like it's one of those for people who don't know the Peach Jam in North yeah. Augusta the the 17 and unders play in the morning and then they play at night and in between the 16 and unders play and um you know, sometimes you you know the coaches coaches are in there for the 16 and unders but that's typically yeah. when a rider might go get lunch right and uh, maybe go go get a run in or something. So, uh, but I was I don't remember who I was talking. You, you get in these conversations with coaches, and you just end up sitting in a jam. You don't even know who's on the court, but you're not you're in the middle of a, a conversation about something. So, you're a sixteen and under game starts, but you don't have any idea what's going on in it. Or at least that's the case for me. I'm not a recruiting analyst. So, yeah. um, I'm watching this uh, this team. I guess they were from Texas, and uh, this white kid is just balling out, man. He's just like un- like and. Uh, I'm like, man, this kid is really good. And whatever coach I was talking to didn't know who he was either. 
And I uh, I text like somebody, like maybe it was Borzello or Evan Daniels, like one of the recruiting guys. I'm like, yo, man, have you seen this white kid from Texas? I think his name's Mickey Mitchell. I'm like, he's really good. And they were like, yeah, he's like top three in the country. I was like, I was like, I was like, okay, okay, that makes sense then. <laughs> and of course, uh, he uh, he fell off after he that. did. Yeah, uh, he, he has, tore his knees up. Yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, yeah, so I, I I don't I didn't actually. Every, the the joke is that every summer there's some <laughs> sort of consensus top ten prospect that Parrish hasn't seen in person yet, and then he walks into a gym and it's packed, and he's like, wait, hold hold on a second. Does everyone see what I see right now? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I'm like he saw Kelly like two years ago. I was I was at the opposite end of the gym, and I walk in. I see him walk walk into the gym, and he's there for maybe like ten minutes. And it's like the, it's a group chat with a uh, group text with me, Borzello, Goodman, Parrish, and I don't know where Parrish goes. I just discovered Kelly Oubre. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. Sure. I go I go into a sixteen and under game where I'm completely unfamiliar with prospects, and I discover uh, I discover somebody like Marvin Bagley. I discovered him this summer too. Seriously. Um, <laughs> all right. So, by so, the way, I, let me finish. Oh, oh listen, there he is. Baby. Got the baby. There he is. I got him. Don't worry. I got him. I got him. <laughs> let me just uh, note <laughs> really quickly. Like, I'm not down on Ben Simmons by any means. Sounds like, like you, he's sounds been like you very like. good. But I, I just, and I think that, that right now like he would be the number one craft before you would take. I ben think Simmons. he would be the number one overall pick right now. But I, I just think that the jury is still very much out, and we're kind of anointing him uh, a little bit early. Okay, so what about if not Simmons? Let's just let's just touch freshman real quick, guys. Um, like Swanigan's been amazing. What other first year players through like Swanigan? I think has played above expectation, but I haven't seen all the games, and I I didn't was able wasn't able to track every day last week. So has anyone else like uh, definitely immediately popped? Uh, Jamal, uh, Jamal Murray. I was gonna say Jamal Murray. Yeah, yeah. I mean Jamal Murray's been really good. Um, Gal's been good. He's had I moments. Think. He's been up and down yeah. a little bit, but he you know he's still averaging. You know, uh, fourteen points, four rebounds a game. I, I think this is yep. he's sort of a, an interesting prospect because Cal typically likes his big to be big, right? He likes his bigs to be big. Like you know, Carl Anthony Towns plays on the perimeter. No, not at Kentucky. Go get down there and score in the paint. But like Scott, you know, so like that, that's been Cal a little. Cal can't do that. No, that's the thing. Like so, like um, I think Cal's going to get to a point where he's just going to say all right we're just going to let we're going to take advantage of the kid's talent and let him float as you know we're not going to turn him into a double digit rebounder but um that that's sort of uh, that's at least among the issues right now he he isn't a around the rim go grab balls bang with people type of kid um but but cal you know would and, and that's the type of seven footer that cal prefers yeah no i i agree with all that um i, I would hope that eventually Calipari will use him right uh, like that. But uh, I mean, just given what we saw last year with Towns, I don't know that that will be the case. Um, he, he even uses a talent like Alex Poitras inside, you know, and right. Poitras has a lot of perimeter skill that I think he hasn't really gotten a chance to show. Uh, well, Anthony, so, yeah, how about no, Anthony I, Davis, DeMarcus Cousins? Like they didn't show yeah. what they could do offensively while they were at, at Kentucky. Now it worked out. They won a whole bunch of games. He knows what he's doing. But um, typically, you know, Cal doesn't want his bigs playing on the perimeter and i i think scow is probably better you know floating around even though he's a legit 16 uh 6 11. i say briscoe's been good too briscoe's been really good defensively yeah yeah he's, well it's kentucky he's shut I mean, down grayson allen right you got gp's got kentucky in number one top 25 and one which makes sense they're number two behind carolina and you drop carolina down to 10 um I like uh, the Maryland Georgetown game was just so much fun. But are you thinking right now? Again, super small sample size, but um, Kentucky to me has looked just 
really, really good, really fun. More fun than it's funny. Like there are a few games this year. To me, they look more fun than the team that was that played last year, which was just almost you know dominating in this just systematic way. But uh, I don't know how much difference there is between Kentucky. You've got Maryland two, Michigan State three, and one and one Kansas number four. Uh, but do we think Kentucky has kind of established itself as the clear-cut best team, you know, almost, you know, a week and a half into the season? I don't think clear-cut, but I, I think they're the best team right now. I mean, they, they looked, you know, some of this is like the impression you make went on a big stage, and they looked, sure. they looked awesome against Duke. Or, mm-hmm. You know, they made Duke look very average. I don't think Duke is average, but they made Duke look average. We've seen what Grayson Allen did before the Kentucky game and after the Kentucky game, but in that Kentucky game, he was um, physically overwhelmed. And so... Um, you know, I'm not ready to put a championship banner in Rupp Arena, a new one yet, but they look like the best team. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think they're kind of in a tier by themselves right now, uh, even ahead of Maryland. I mean, Maryland struggled with Ryder, struggled with uh, Georgetown uh, this weekend. So, I mean, Maryland's probably the team that's, you know, got the closest ceiling to them, maybe. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, I'd probably say Kentucky number one by clear margin okay uh, there have been a lot of weird uh, go ahead, go ahead. well like the, the other thing is like you know kentucky is is basically 100 percent healthy and some of these other teams are dealing with stuff right like north carolina yeah. obviously is without marcus page um greg Marsh, kansas doesn't have diallo kansas doesn't have diallo wichita state is without fred van vliet and greg marshall just texted me like right now um van vliet's backup point guard definitely out this week too uh with a stress wow. reaction in so like you know, it's basically, you know, all Ron Baker, like Ron Baker's having to do everything for them. So like some yeah. of, some of this is, um, you know, I guess it's the same as in the NBA or any other sport, like being healthy is, is, is advantageous and Kentucky is, is, uh, for the most part, you know, all of its key pieces are healthy. It's been a weird start because we've had a lot of teams lose to teams that wouldn't. And some of these teams aren't necessarily even teams in the top 25, uh, like Virginia Tech dropping, uh, home game to a swag team like just, just crazy but there have been an, an abnormal amount it seems to me georgetown which actually has <laughs> georgetown's like the weirdest one of all right because they're one and three but you gotta have and they lost that weird opener to radford at home in double overtime they played maryland really well they i watched them play wisconsin friday night like came home from the hospital it was the first game i watched they looked terrific against wisconsin and yet, and then they play Duke close, but they're one and three. So it's between teams losing weird games and then other teams like Georgetown playing. You know, they've had three straight games against NCAA tournament teams. I think there might be a couple of teams that people are, are might be sort of low on, but I still maintain Georgetown as a top 30 quality team. The Radford game might have just been shake off the cobwebs, and Radford played really well and hit a big shot. But overall, I still think Georgetown is the second best team in the Big East right now. Maybe Butler's right there, though. I would probably go Xavier as the second-best team in the Big East yeah, right Xavier's now. Good too. That's a good point. I, I have mean, not seen them play that yet. So Yeah, they went up to Michigan and kind of really put it on Michigan. Uh, Trevon Blewett's really good. Jalen Reynolds is a monster inside. Uh, that dude's going to be an upgrade on Matt Stainbrook this year, and that's not necessarily uh, a hard – or that is a hard thing to do, I would say. Um, they've been really, really good, but, uh, yeah, I think that Georgetown's going to be fine. I mean, they're an NCAA tournament team. Yeah, but like Butler looked good until it played Miami. Xavier looked great at Michigan over the weekend. Uh, Villanova, we have no reason to think they're not, you know, really good again. They beat the East Tennessee state team by like 30 that ended up going and subsequently winning at Georgia 
uh, a tech. So like Villanova looks strong. I think it could be a four bid league, right? That like that's that's and, and Seton Hall got a win over Ole Miss, which isn't awful. You know, like that's oh. I don't know how great it is, yeah. but it's um you know a neutral court win over Ole Miss yesterday. So I, I think the Big East could be looking at um, Villanova, Xavier, Butler, Georgetown. Like that seems reasonable to me. Yeah, maybe Providence too. Yeah, uh, I mean when you have Chris Dunn, you have a shot. Um, I mean, they went to, or they had Illinois come to their place and they beat Illinois. Uh, they have a couple of interesting ish games coming up. They have Evansville and Rhode Island, uh, within the next week and a half. So we'll learn a little bit more about them, uh, soon, but yeah, I'd say four to five in the big East and, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that wouldn't be too surprising. Anything you guys looking forward to this week? Of course, uh, the Maui Invitational, like as we're recording, is like about to tip off. I think uh, Vanderbilt's about to play. Who's Vanderbilt playing? Yeah. Wake or St. Uh, John's? St. John's, that right. That should be a big win. Yeah. I Listen, I, I love the Maui tournament. Love it. I mean, I love the whole week. This is the, the pros and cons of this week is the pros are you're going to get a lot of good, interesting matchups just by nature of the tournaments and where teams end up playing each other. Uh, the weird thing is, like, I was watching the Puerto Rico tip off, and there's like nobody in the stands. Like, it's just so weird. And it's all money. It's TV. Like, we get it. It's just a, such a weird juxtaposition to the point where last night, chilling, hanging out with the boy, and I'm like super pumped to watch Stanford and St. Mary's, and I'm like, oh yeah, it's because it's an on campus game. And like, this is the exception and not the rule, unfortunately. Um, wish we had more of them, but we get these interesting tournaments. I would say Maui's interesting. Sam, you're going to be at uh, what? Wooden. Uh, wooden, wooden later on this week. Who's in that one? Uh, wooden has, I, I know, Michigan State, Providence, uh, Boise State, UC Irvine, um, Boston College. Um, there, there are a few other teams. I think Santa Clara and oh, Arizona's in there too. I forgot right. about that. Arizona's the headline. So that's the one you. So, that's the one we root for is the it, Arizona Michigan State final. It, Yes, right. I would say that's true. The wooden, that's in Anaheim, right? Uh, it's in Fullerton, and then the final is in Anaheim, I the, think. Okay, yeah, the, that I've been to that one before. I think I've been to that one twice. I, you, typically, this this week, I always go to um, either Orlando or Anaheim, right? I, 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 because it's a great place to see, you know, eight teams all in one location, Um you know, uh, when you have young children, if you're paid to take the family along, it can turn into a nice little uh, situation for them as well. You get the Saturday off because they can't put basketball on television on Saturday uh, for the most part. Football uh, inventory. Because of football. So you get they typically play Thursday, Friday, and then uh, Sunday. And, and the, the, the event in Orlando is actually uh, typically um, uh, decently attended. But yeah. the 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 one out in California, like I just remember nobody being there, like absolutely nobody yeah. was in the stands, and it does it does make for a, a weird environment. Like you could you could reasonably have two top twenty teams playing and nobody in the in the stands. Um, I would you know that. Yeah, I, I love the on campus games, like that Georgetown yeah. Maryland the other night. Um, yeah, like give me great non conference games on campus. Like that that is it looks the best, it feels the best. That that's the. That's the way to go, but as we know, um, television uh, dictates a lot of this, and so here we are. Yeah. Hey, give, given what I've seen at UCLA games so far this right. year, the attendance has been like six thousand. Uh, I would say I expect very little attendance. How at, good at was that? How good was that Sean Miller uh, press conference the other night? Yeah, well, Sean Miller is great. I so yeah, <laughs> recap it for the listeners because I I think I read the story that you wrote GP like the day later. This is first of all, it's Miller. Sean Miller is awesome, and he's 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 like he's one of those guys where I feel like the public doesn't really know Sean Miller as like who who he is as a, as a person, because um, he kind of plays it close to the vest. 
But for him to do what he did, I thought was uh, unexpected and kind of amazing. And I wish more coaches had the guts to do it. So they beat whoever they beat. I don't even remember who it was. And it was like they beat him by 30. Bradley, I think it was, right? So they beat Bradley by 30. And uh, there's 14,000 people at the game. Basically a sellout. And um, it was a Monday night game. I had just gotten to Chicago, and so I was just up. It was the night before the Champions Classic, and I was just up. And, and honestly, somebody on Twitter like tweeted at me and was like, you got to check out Sean Miller's press conference tonight. It was fantastic. So I, uh, you know, quick Twitter search. I, you know, there's a million Arizona beat writers out there. I knew I'd find it somewhere. So I found that I, uh, from a student reporter, uh, the, tra- uh, uh, the uh, transcript of it, and it was um, – you know, just your normal sort of uh, press conference where you're, you know, opening statement and you start talking. And he, he said something along the lines of, I'm paraphrasing here, but this is the gist of it. And I will never take this crowd for granted. It was unbelievable. You know, 14th, Monday night, playing Bradley, still 14,000 people in this place. And, you know, I, I, I appreciate that. And I'll never take it for granted because, you know, I was sitting at home last night, you know, just watching some basketball and, and uh, I couldn't believe how many people weren't at the games. You know, he's he's like, uh, now I know that the traffic's bad. I know the traffic's hard. But, like, still, there's nobody there. Like, you almost think, like, did they put the wrong date on the tickets and people don't even know the game's going on? And uh, if you're a recruit, I don't know why you would ever want to go to a place where people don't go to the games. Like, it just doesn't make any sense to me. But, uh, you know, but either way, I'll, I'm really appreciative of our crowd because we don't deal with that. 14,000 in here every night. We get you know sellouts for our scrimmages, and you have to pay to come to those too, and blah 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 blah. And it was just very clearly a shot at UCLA, right? But first off, UCLA. Oh pl- yeah. Yeah. First off, UCLA played the night before, all right. So that, uh, and nobody was in Pauley Pavilion, and um, the whole traffic thing, like, is that's clearly a shot at LA. Not a shot at LA, but like mm-hmm. that is all. I don't want to say always, but it has been a well used excuse, um, often used excuse about attendance at. Uh, in Westwood is like it takes so long to get there and I as somebody who has driven from you know uh, downtown LA to Westwood it it can take a long time to get there I can testify to that Um, but and then the you know they uh, Arizona lost a a commitment TJ Leaf to UCLA and so the Mm -hmm. last part of Miller's press conference where he's saying I don't know why a recruit would want to go somewhere where nobody that seemed like he still might not be over the TJ Leaf thing quite yet it was just uh uh, perfect. You know, Steve Spurrier does has done that for years, like taking little subtle or not so subtle shots at rivals. Uh, so we don't really get that too often in basketball. So to get it, I was uh, I loved it. I thought it was terrific. Yeah, anytime we can make college basketball more Steve Spurrier, like I feel like we should embrace that <laughs> for sure and uh, just really lean into it and make sure it's reported really well. But well, Seth, you live there. Like, why why do people in LA just uh, like they? And th- this has always been. The, I, the first time I ever went to Pauley Pavilion, now this is before the renovation, two things struck me. Because like from a distance, like I grew up in North Mississippi, uh, Pauley Pavilion is like, like that is one of the places in college basketball, mm-hmm. right? And the first time I went there for a game, I was struck by two things. One, what a dump. Holy crap, it was terrible, right? Mm-hmm. Now, it's nice now. Yeah, but- they renovated it. It's, better. it's definitely oh, better it, now. It's, it's pretty nice. Yeah. The problem is that uh, sound doesn't carry well at all. Right. Uh, whenever you're in the arena, um, as far as what UCLA has done for everything, they have new facilities coming reasonably soon. Uh, but the facilities right now aren't particularly great, like practice facilities and stuff like that. Um, there's just a lot to do in Los Angeles. 
to be honest, right. and it's a very spread out city. Right. So you have to drive half an hour to get anywhere. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, we were there and uh, at the game. I was at the Pepperdine UCLA game. And uh, like you, you look around and it's not even like the student section. The student section is there. You would probably like to see more students there, but whatever. I mean, it's not uh, it's not terribly awful, but it's the fact that UCLA puts their like paying uh, like season ticket holders that aren't students like alumni uh, on the sides of the court. Uh, it just makes it look awful every right. time someone's right. going to take a picture. I mean, it's just really, really bad because those are the people that aren't coming to the games. Uh, the students, you get enough, but whenever there are people that are, you know, making $200,000 a year or whatever, who just plunk down a little bit of money for season tickets to UCLA and don't really care if they go to games or not, uh, you really have to find a way to uh, maybe switch where the students sit comparatively to where the uh, season ticket holding alumni sit because those guys aren't coming out to the games. Yeah, like th- th- those were the two things that struck me. One, like Pauley Pavilion was is a dump, and 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 two, and, and not a dump anymore. It, it, it looks it's great, but at the time, which is why they needed the renovation. And secondly, like nobody was there, and this was like a. Um, you know, a game, it's when I think Aaron Brooks was at Oregon, so they were good. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, UCLA was in that run of Final Fours. Like, you know, it was it was around that time. So, like, they were good. And nobody was there. Like, it just didn't matter. Like, it just did not matter. You couldn't get, you know, I don't even know if there were six, seven, eight thousand people there. And uh, it's always been interesting. Like, you would think, on one hand, there's so much to do in L.A., I got it. But also, like, there's so many people in L.A. Like, you don't need, <laughs> yeah. you, you know, like, uh, so it's always been um, sort of an interesting dynamic. UCLA basketball, I think, looks better from a distance than it does up close. Because when you get up close, like, it, it just, it doesn't seem to register in its local market, which is, uh, you know, even when it's operating at a high level, which is just, I don't, I don't, I don't, it's just interesting. It's always been interesting to me why it doesn't seem to matter there. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's always seemed like more, I mean, I've lived here for, I think, three years now, and it's just always seemed like more of a pro sports town to me than a uh, college sports town, just because it's so, the way the city is, is it is so very, uh, like, people move to Los Angeles and just bring their own fandoms as opposed to, you know, people staying in Los Angeles for their whole lives. It's a very uh, transient city, I would say. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I would say that there probably aren't as many UCLA alums throughout the city as you would think there are. And so for people listening that are listening to this podcast today, we're recording it. Actually, UCLA kind of circling back to what GP and we were talking about with the tournaments uh, quickly on Maui. So UCLA gets UNLV. That's the last game. Hey, buddy, it's OK. That's the last game on. Listen, flawless, flawless right now. Uh, the last game Monday night. How do you keep kinda, him quiet like that? My, like I, I've had babies. Like they, they, once they start screaming, they don't stop until mommy gets involved. Uh, he's just he's just hanging out, man. He's Look at he's you. about he's about due for a feeding in about forty five minutes, but he was due for a good nap, so he's just he's just hanging. Um, UNLV UCLA. That's the last game on Monday night. The big one for both programs because one you can UNLV can absolutely beat UCLA. That'll be uh, pretty interesting uh, within that. But overall, you've got Kansas and Indiana are the other two, and Vanderbilt's really good too. So Maui will be interesting to see who gets. One who wins, and the Maui's always intriguing because if you, it can be a situation where if you lose the game you shouldn't lose, then it hurts your resume because since 
Mm-hmm. Maui has so many good teams. There's usually only one team, if it happens, that loses. And so then you get the the non-NCAA tournament teams, and you don't get the chances for the victories down the road. Um, Battle for Atlantis can be similar to that. That's the other, obviously, that's the big one. I just wanted to hit on that real quick since people are listening, and that's later in the week. So that starts Wednesday. It's probably the best tournament because top half of the bracket, you get Gonzaga, Washington, and you get Texas A&M, Texas. Okay, old school, no longer a Big 12 matchup, uh, but a throwback there. Three of those four teams can go to the NCAA tournament. Washington's been better this season so far than I expected, but we'll see. And then the bottom half is intriguing because you get UConn plays Michigan, which is fantastic. But if UConn wins and then Syracuse beats Charlotte, you get UConn Syracuse on Thanksgiving. You know, again, a throwback that's no longer a conference game, but a, an old school Big East matchup. So that could be pretty intriguing as well. Battle for Atlantis goes Wednesday to Friday. It's probably the best bracket overall between Gonzaga, AM, Texas, Michigan, UConn. Make the argument for Syracuse, you know, more than half the bracket could get into the actual NCAA tournament. So that's the other, like, you know, Sam's got the wooden legacy, but the. But clearly, that's that's a that's a huge one there. Now the whole yeah, week, yeah the whole week's gonna be good. Like I, I I'm I'm with you. I like um, I like this week of basketball, and I actually I, I like I said earlier, I usually go to one of these events, but I've got to be in New York on Saturday, so it, it, it that means I have to fly there on Friday, which means it doesn't make any sense uh, for me to go. It's just probably just a brutal day of travel, to be honest. Oh, the day after Thanksgiving, huh? I didn't even think I of would, that. I would I, maybe not. Maybe people take the whole weekend. Yeah, well, you'll you'll have a you'll have a travel report. It'll it'll, it'll be it'll be fine. But um, so I'm just I'm not going to these events, which is fine with me because like I can sit back and watch it all on television. It's great television if you uh if you're a college basketball fan. No doubt about it. Um, I, yeah, we see the thing is this this week it's it's one of those things where like when you're into the sport and you follow it like we do week by week and I and I and I just love this week. I really do. I get that casual sports fans who probably wouldn't even listen to this podcast don't get so into it, but I'm telling you like these are pivotal matchups because when we get to mid-February and I understand a lot of these power leagues will give opportunities, the non non-conference has always and will always mean something to the selection committee. So mm-hmm. it's when you can win these games and move on in these tournaments to play better teams and if you're going to play them close the committee is watching. They're paying a lot of attention. They are on neutral sites, you know, so that does, you know, for as bad as it might be at some sites with not so great crowds, they are true neutral court games. So they, they obviously mean something and they, the outcomes from the next five, six, seven days will have impacts on NCAA tournament inclusion and seed lines overall. It'll, it'll be intriguing. There are definitely going to be upsets to come, but I'm, I'm interested to see, cause usually once we get past this week, you get your first like true impression. Like we're still kind of just you know groping in the dark, so to speak, to see who's good. You know, are these weird losses aberrational to start the season? Once you have mm-hmm. teams get you know six, seven games underneath them, and they've beaten one or two really good teams, I think by the time we record next week, we'll just have a, a better grasp on okay, you know, these guys are really showing up. They're really good. These guys, you know, what's kind of going on there, and and so to speak. Seriously, yeah. Actually, I, I wrote about Fred Van Vliet's injury earlier today, and if you look at Wichita's schedule. Uh, they could be in some trouble if they lose this opening game to USC in the Advocare Invitational in Orlando or whatever it is, uh, because then they'll probably get Alabama in the second game, mm. and then one of the uh, lower-bracketed teams, maybe a Monmouth or maybe a, a, a Dayton or an Iowa or something. So they could be looking at basically having no wins over NCAA tournament teams until they go to Utah on December 12th. Uh, and Utah goes to Wichita. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. Uh, but 
if they don't win that Utah game and if they don't get the matchups they need in Orlando, they'd really be putting themselves behind the eight ball as far as creating a uh, resume that the committee would actually look at as far as being a mid-major in a uh, Missouri Valley that's just only okay this year. That's the and problem also, too because you've got it. Yeah. You've got to get the wins. It doesn't matter how good we think you are. You've got to yeah. have the wins if you're from a league like the Missouri Valley. You know what it reminds me of? Uh, Steph's last year at Davidson. Everybody wanted Steph in the tournament again. They had gone to the God, what, Elite, Elite Eight the year before, and Steph was awesome. And we thought Davidson like might be good enough, like one of the teams that like good enough to get in the tournament again, and then you know just let Steph go. What? But they didn't have the wins. They they didn't beat anybody. They you know and oh, and, and you couldn't you couldn't put them in. You like they and you'd hate. I mean, hate the idea that that could maybe. Um, happened to Ron Baker and Fred Van Vliet. That is a great call. I forgot about that. I just brought it up because I remember they were good. They actually won. They won 27 right. that year. Um, man, yeah. Steph was outrageous that year. Yeah. He was oh, he, sti- he still is, it, by the way. Oh, I know. And it's, <laughs> still it's great. decent at basketball. I mean, it's, yeah. it is, you know, to be honest, I, I, I think it's absolutely awesome and amazing that a dude that went to Davidson is the best player in the NBA right now. I just think that's so awesome. But um, you could you could be right with that. Now the thing is, it will be remain to see how you know how long do they not have Van Vliet? And it doesn't look like he's going to be available this week at all. So uh, if they don't have him and they don't have their backup point guard for a certain number of games and they lose, it's still going to count against them. They don't you know just because you don't have your player and you lose, you don't you don't get a free pass by any means. But if they come back strong with Van Vliet. Sure. I don't know. We'll see. The committee does take injuries as they should into account. But the problem is this is so early in the season. They're going to have so much more season after that, that I, you know, it would be different as if they had played, you know, two wins, one loss or whatever with a healthy Van Vliet. Then they lost Van Vliet late February for three games, maybe one and two there. I feel like they would get more of the benefit of the doubt in February than they will in November. So you're absolutely right. That's a good, that's a good call guys. Just in terms of Wichita state, this is a pretty important week because if they do win, you know, beat USC, they could probably get Xavier and get a good chance there. Losing really puts them, as we mentioned before, with how, what, you know, how Maui can kind of bite you. You get, you just, you lose opportunities and that can really add up at the end of the year. All right. Well, listen, Vanderbilt is beating the crap out of St. John's. It's 20, <laughs> it's 23 to four, uh, eight minutes in, <laughs> 23 to four, eight minutes in. So let's go watch that. Let you take care of your, uh, hold baby on, boy, hold on. before we do it, mm. we'll, we'll win by more Vanderbilt against St. John's or who has Chaminade? Does Kansas, Kansas, Kansas has Chaminade. Kansas. You think Kansas will be? Uh, listen, okay. I think Vanderbilt will beat St. Right John's now. by more. What is the line on? Oh, can I bring up the? I, I know we want to wrap up. Hold on, I'm yeah. going to bring up the line on the CBS Sports app on this Kansas Chaminade game. They have lines on against non D1 teams, right? Not uh, it, gets, it gets iffy. It's 28. It looks like right now is the consensus. So, so. Kansas is favored by 28. Well, Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt was only favored. And, Vanderbilt was only favored by like 14 or so. Yeah, it, it was my pick in the uh, in the viewers guide this morning it was 16 and a half and i said vanderbilt will cover uh yeah that looks pretty good i I would say vanderbilt will win by more uh yeah that's what i'm saying i'm saying shamanon will keep it closer because with the benefit of knowing it's 23 4 right now i'll say shamanon keeps it closer at the end of the game against kansas than st john's does against vanderbilt let's keep in mind a division two team beat st john's by 30 all right so like uh vanderbilt might be able to get them by 30 as uh as well what a what a mess all right so we're gonna do this again on wednesday i guess right is that the plan? I mean, I mean or what, what yeah, are we doing sure, here? Maybe. I mean, are you gonna are you gonna bring on anyone else, or you just want to? Here's the problem. I mean, we should probably talk about this off uh, off the air, but we'll talk about it here too. Everybody has a podcast now. 
I used to like bring on, <laughs> like I, I'd have uh, Rob on one week and then I'd have uh, Nicole Auerbach on one week and I'd have Pat Forty on one week and whatever. But the problem now, everybody has their, like everybody has their own podcast now. Nicole's got one, Rob's got one. So like, it, I know, it, I, I know a man mm-hmm. north of Boston who, who doesn't have a podcast. That's sure nobody, nobody wants to talk to him. I'm sure he's dying to get on. No, he really, he really is. Like text message me every other day. Uh, maybe, maybe I'll bring him on. We can mix uh, it up. But if you want to yeah. talk, yeah, I, at some point Wednesday, I can squeeze you in between uh, between changes. Congra- hey, my boy did pretty good. First appearance on the podcast. Unbelievable, unbelievable, Norlander. You're like you're an amazing father already. I'm doing my best, man. You're a comforting presence for that little baby boy. So, uh, con- in all seriousness, congratulations, man! Congratulations right. to you and uh, and your beautiful bride. And uh, uh, now, try to try to get a nap in if you can too. I am actually legit. I'm gonna I'm gonna try and get a nap in before we have the uh, the Maui Marathon later. So dig it, dig it, dig it. Remember, you can subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast over at iTunes. It's the quickest way to get your hands on the latest episodes. So go do that. And uh, like I said, we're gonna talk again on Wednesday. Till then, uh, take care.